Today's scripture reading is Mark chapter 9. Then Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God arrive with power. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became radiantly white, brighter than any launderer on earth could bleach them. And Isaiah and Moses appeared before them, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For they were all so terrified that Peter did not know what else to say. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus admonished them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this matter to themselves, discussing what it meant to rise from the dead. And they asked Jesus, Why did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? He replied, Elijah does indeed come first, and he restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected? But I tell you that Elijah has indeed come, and they have done to him whatever they wished, just as it is written about him. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were filled with awe and ran to greet him. What are you disputing with them? he asked. Someone in the crowd replied, Teacher, I brought you my son, who has a spirit that makes him mute. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they were unable. O unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long must I remain with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him, and seeing Jesus, the spirit immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has this been with him? From childhood, he said. It often throws him into the fire or into the water, trying to kill him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you can, echoed Jesus, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father cried out, I do believe! Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd had come running, he rebuked the unclean spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you to come out and never enter him again. After shrieking and convulsing him violently, the spirit came out. The boy became like a corpse, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him up to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone into the house, His disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus answered, This kind cannot come out except by prayer. Going on from there, they passed through Galilee. But Jesus did not want anyone to know because he was teaching his disciples. He told them, The Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask him about it. Then they came to Capernaum. While Jesus was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they were silent. 
for on the way they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the last of all and the servant of all. Then he had a little child stand among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not only me, but the one who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone else driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not accompany us. Do not stop him, Jesus replied, for no one who performs a miracle in my name can turn around and speak evil of me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Indeed, if anyone wants to give you even a cup of water because you bear the name of Christ, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two hands and go into hell, into the unquenchable fire. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell, where their worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt loses its saltiness, with what will you season it? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. This is God's word. Because we are sinners, it is easy for us to tolerate the existence of sin. If someone sins against us, that can be tough to take. But if we see one person sin against another, or we sin against someone else, it is easy to excuse it. We don't contone sin directly when we do this, but we say to ourselves, I've sinned too, I'm capable of doing that, or I've been tempted to do that, or the ever-present, hey, nobody's perfect. Jesus coached us to be much harder on sin than we are. Not to be hard on the sin of others, but to be hard on ourselves. We read that in verses 42 through 48. In verse 42, he warned us not to cause someone else to stumble. Stumbling means to fall into sin. Ultimately, we cannot force anyone into sin, but we can tempt him or her to sin. We can also put someone else in a position where they will be tempted to sin. I can't make an alcoholic take a drink of whiskey, but I could invite him to go bar hopping with me. If he decides to come along with me, but tells himself he will not drink, he will find himself in an environment where it is easy to compromise. Just one drink, one glass of beer, he may tell himself as he orders a drink from the bartender. But then one glass may lead to two, and pretty soon, he's falling down drunk. It was his choice, yes. But I laid down in front of him and said, don't trip and stumble over me by my actions. Jesus said that someone who causes one of his children, a believer, to sin, will receive harsh punishment from God. He said it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. That sounds like a terrifying way to die. Drowning to death and unable to stop it. 
But Jesus said a person who drowns that way will be better off than the person who causes another believer to sin. Here in Mark 9, verses 43 through 48, Jesus went on to tell us about causing ourselves to stumble. His advice was to deal radically with our sin. If it is your hand that causes you to sin, cut it off. Why? Because it is better to deal with the horrible wound of amputation and the disability that amputation brings than to go to hell. The same is true with your eyes. If one of them causes you to sin, get rid of it so that you won't go to hell. What do we make of these warnings from Jesus? Is the suggestion that some sin would cause us to stumble so thoroughly that we lost our salvation? No. Salvation does not depend on our efforts, but on the grace of God. The point of these verses is not to teach us how to deal with sin. Our hands and our eyes don't actually make us sin. It is our hearts that lead us to sin. A person with no hands or feet or eyes or hearing will still have a heart that desires evil things. And that's the point of these verses, to teach us that nothing we can do would be radical enough to rid us of sin tendencies that will condemn us to hell. Only God's righteousness credited to us in Christ can get us forgiveness for the sins we have committed and will commit in the future. But once God's grace has saved you, it will change you. God gives each believer the Holy Spirit and a new nature within. These acts of saving grace will change our evil hearts so that we actually learn to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. So the person who believes they will be saved on the day of judgment, but who is careless and callous about his or her sin, should read this text and realize just how much trouble they are in. They should feel the desperation of a certainty in hell and then fall on the mercy of God, asking him to save them, and God will be there to hear that prayer. God will answer that prayer of faith with full forgiveness, and he will give you the power to change your life without amputating one or more of your limbs. God teaches us the true danger of sin and wants us to be much harder on it than we tend to be, calling out for his grace and help. If you've never trusted Christ, this is what you need to do. Because cutting off your limbs won't stop you from sinning. If you have trusted Christ, you need to pursue holiness in your life, asking God to cleanse you when you sin, but also to purge from you the desire to sin, replacing it with a passion to be holy like God is. That's the will of God for each one of us. And so I hope you'll think about it today and put it into practice in your life. And I'll see you next time.